I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Continuing our, our run of interview-type content in 2024, we are joined, we are rejoined by someone who was one of the real favourites of the pod and then became a friend of the pod. And there's nothing better than that. Uh, Connor Harahan joins us. Hello, Connor. How are we doing? You okay? I'm really well. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, we've been talking about you on this podcast for a number of years with a brief hiatus when you got a bit big for your boots and played 31 Premier League games. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> I'm well and truly back. <laughs> um, you're in a hotel room in Exeter. Uh, it's, it's a Monday night when we're recording this. You're, you're taking on Exeter tomorrow evening. So the long bus journey down to Devon? It was actually okay. Um uh, set off maybe about half one, got here for about six-ish with a stop in there as well for a stretch of the leg. So all in all, wasn't too bad. Obviously, um, had a game on Saturday, so still a little bit um, stiff and, and, and whatnot um, off the back of that, especially at my age you now. <laughs> but um, no, it was a, a quite a good journey down and uh, prepared and ready to go for tomorrow, really. My imagination when I think about the Derby team bus on the way down to Exeter is... You sitting right at the front, quite close to the manager, <laughs> taking your role as senior member of the team and captain very seriously. I, I reckon you might have some quite smart reading glasses or something like that. <laughs> you think? You think? <laughs> and you, you'll be so, taking notes on on training sessions that you've had over your career that you want to remember. I, I try and do that um, at home behind um, behind the scenes and not bring it onto the coach um, a little bit. Um, when you get onto the coach as a player still, you still have that like um, schoolboy, school bus kind of energy and you get down to the back <laughs> where you want to be in amongst your mates and you're like, the the, the kind of the aftermath of football um, can wait for a few hours while, I, while I, I enjoy this time with the lads. So down to the back of the bus like your school days nice. and uh, enjoy a bit of... Uh, Bit of a laugh at the lads, really, to be honest. You got the the young lads bunched up somewhere or other. Cashin yeah. and his gang in my head are, are sort of. <laughs> I was going to say recording TikToks. Cashin actually doesn't strike me as a big TikTok guy. No, no, he's not. He's <laughs> definitely um, kind of a, a young lad, but uh, an older kind of wiser head in him, to be fair. And the younger lads are a bit like that. You know, Max Board is very similar. Younger uh, lad, but older head. Um, so no, there's a, there's a good mix. We were definitely an older group last year. 
Um, I think the gaffer's touched on that a couple of times over his interviews over the summer, wanted to bring down the age a little bit. So um, there's a good mix now where there's a kind of a, a range of ages and uh, I am definitely still amongst the, the old group. So um, yeah, they uh, they keep me young. The night before a game at the hotel next to, what sort of food are you guys eating the night before? And then tell me about the day of as well for a 7.45 kickoff. Yeah, so um, the night before is... is you know, there'd be stuff like there'd be soup if you want to start with a soup. Um, there might be like bread and hummus and stuff out if you want to start um, with some something like that. Then you'd go into your uh, main meal would be like your pastas, your lasagnas, chickens, veggies, salads, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, some clubs have a little dessert on, some clubs don't. Derby do, which is nice. The older lads kind of rule there and say, get us a dessert out, which is always nice. Um, with a bit of fruit or yogurt or whatever you want to go for. So that's typically your kind of spread for the, the day before. Then obviously, depending on time kickoff, obviously tomorrow now is going to be a bit of a longer day because it's a nighttime kickoff. Start with your breakfast in the morning, anytime between like 8 and 10. And, you know, you're looking at your cereals, fruits, porridges, eggs, all the rest of it. And then you have your lunch, and then uh, which is a similar type to tonight's meal and then pre-match which is kind of a mixture then pre-match is a bit of a funny meal it's kind of a mixture between you can go back to have like cereals eggs like a breakfast or you can have like a a pasta type dish as well so your pre-match then is a little bit different but um it's a bit of a long way tomorrow we don't have too many of the of these so far this season where if you're kind of derby's quite central so if you're within within a decent um couple of hours you might go um, around lunchtime and then chill for a few hours but obviously would, would it be extra you're you're a lot further away so um, you've got a bit more hanging around time to do and, and kind of more time in your hands tomorrow to kind of fill up lovely city though if you fancy a little cruise around extra for a couple of hours if the weather's nice <laughs> you know what i play uh, six aside every wednesday and i have done for the same team in the same place for about eight years now Right. And I still get my pre-match meal wrong every single week. And it, right. I think I once read Wayne Rooney talk about the fact that he just always would eat pasta, yeah. I don't know, three hours before kickoff. And so I've decided that what's good enough for Wayne Rooney is good enough for me. <laughs> Except me, I will make like a really nice, quite sort of creamy, cheesy pasta and like I'll always get the timings wrong. I'll end up forcing it down like an hour before kickoff. You'd be feeling heavy. Oh, mate, it's an absolute disaster. In my head, I'm like, well, I'm going to get... The, the phrase I always think of is slow-release energy, I think they say. About, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's complete bollocks, but it's... Uh, right, you yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, we usually eat, like, pretty much three hours before. Everyone is different, but for me, I hate feeling heavy in a game. So, look, I'm not the quickest anymore. I never was the quickest. We're blessed with pace. So if I feel heavy on top of that, I feel really sluggish. So, like, my pre-match is very light. That's just my own personal preference. I'm glad you see them having big bowls of pasta. I'm like a little bowl of porridge, maybe a bit of toast, and I'm done. Um, Because, you know, if you burp in a game or something like that, you don't want to be burping up like (laughs) bolognese coming through your throat. Not at all. um, Yeah, so I'm quite a a light um, eater. for. So I'll have have a bigger lunch and a smaller pre-match say for, for tomorrow um if it was a three o'clock game i'd have a bigger breakfast smaller pre-match so that's how i work really and i've kind of stuck with it through the years don't really change too much from it i'll let you know how my 
6 p.m. porridge goes on Wednesday evening. (laughs) (laughs) How are you feeling as a Derby County player right now with the club sitting in second in League One uh, as we record? Uh, By the time you guys listen to this, there will have been another round of fixtures, so we we won't get too caught up in the exact league positions or the uh, points differences between the two teams. But broadly, Connor, it's it's tight up there. Portsmouth atop. As we record, you got Derby, then there's Bolton, Barnsley and Peterborough. For us, the neutrals, it's been a really entertaining top of League One and, and it kind of feels yeah. like all's to play for still. Uh, how have you seen it? How have you experienced this League One promotion battle? Um, yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been up and down. It's been a bit of a roller coaster so far as all of the EFL seasons tend to be. It's never a smooth journey. Um, I think we got 15 games to go um so kind of a third of the season to go now um kind of into the business end look we're in amongst it for sure um more than we were last year which was important um this year uh, look like any other if you had a Portsmouth player on here or a Barnsley or a Peterborough Bolton they'd all say we're probably a couple of points shy we can remember a few games that you know the old typical answers you know um but um look we're in amongst it for sure we're second at the minute I know kind of Bolton have got a couple of games at hand on us um, but look we've still got to play it and we've still got to play Portsmouth we've done Peterborough twice we've got Barnsley coming up soon at Oakwell because we've played them once already so um, look it's going to be an interesting last uh, 15 or so games um, we've got a you know not an easy one tomorrow against Exeter um, they've picked up a bit of form so all of a sudden that becomes a tough game um, so yeah it's going to be an interesting finish and look hopefully over the course of the, the next 15 games we pick up more points than the rest of the teams we've just named and uh, hopefully we get in the top two places. You know, that's the ultimate goal, really. You mentioned games that you will feel as a group and you individually frustrated that Derby didn't end up winning. I I guess, you know, there's a couple of home games in particular, including one on the weekend against Shrewsbury, uh, one against Pompey, another on Sky against um, um, Peterborough. That There are a few examples of games where, Derby have had the lead and, and haven't seen it out. Of course, mm-hmm. you've also won twelve of seventeen in the league as we record. So it's a it's right. a team that's got pretty used to winning football matches overall. Yeah. You know, if if that's the thing that's been frustrating for you, you know, the concession of the odd late goal that stopped you from winning all three. What is it as a team that you feel is a real strength? What gives you great confidence? I think right now is probably consistency I feel like we are a strong group with, with a bit of consistency we don't look this might sound bad come Wednesday morning going into a game tomorrow night but we feel like we're, we're not going to lose too many uh, we feel strong we feel you know like you said 12 and 17 is, is a pretty good record um, you know the games uh, that we probably should have done better in in terms of you know the home form is a little bit um, could have been a little bit better like we just mentioned Portsmouth winning Drew late on, Wickham the same, the one at the weekend the same, Peterborough. Um, so definitely the home games, um, I think, is something that we can improve on. Um, but uh, yeah, look, the, the, the group 12 and 17 in any league is is pretty good. Um, you know, gives the team a lot of confidence, a lot of belief, makes us feel, uh, you know, good and, and going into every game that you've got a right chance of getting a result. So, you know, if you feel like that going into most games, you've got a right chance of getting a result and, that's where we are uh, at the minute. Um, you know, our bad patch kind of hopefully was more towards the, the first end of the start of the season. Uh, and hopefully we've been through that now. And if that is the case, then if we can keep getting results in the in the last third of the, of the, of the season, 
um, will definitely pick up a lot of points, which is, which is obviously going to be important, really. Consistently, certainly stands out, you know, from my point of view. And, and I wonder to what extent you think the manager, Paul Warren, and, and his assistant, Richie Barker, who, who Warren always credits with being a, a big part of the tactical side of Warren's teams, you know, to what extent is the the style of play that they've implemented a factor in the team being able to be consistent. When I think of Derby at the moment, I don't see you as a team that like roller coaster from one performance level to the next, right? And and I guess that that speaks to players understanding what's being asked of them, understanding generally how the team is going to attack, how the team is going to defend and being able to consistently put that out there on the pitch. It strikes me that Paul Warren, and we saw it at Rotherham as well, he seems to have this knack for creating real momentum in busy periods of EFL seasons that are always referenced as being so difficult to get through. Um, that seems to be a real sort of trait of his teams. Yeah, I think a big thing for us is we, we give ourselves a, a really good foundation in every game. I think I don't think we um, concede loads of goals. We give ourselves a good platform within the game to give ourselves the best chance of, of, of getting a result, basically, whether it's a win or a draw, whatever that may be. Um, I think that goes back to us feeling like we've got a right chance in every single game. I think, you know, Paul and staff have been, I think, a big thing for me as a senior player looking at manager and, and the staff. They've been there and done it in this league and their know-how is not to be questioned. You know, they've been promoted out of this league th- three times, I think. Um, so if they say, we're going to do this today or we're going to go away to Fleetwood and do this or we're going to go, you know, home to Burton Albion and do this, you know, they've been there, seen it and done it. And... Um, the results that that follow that makes you think you just follow their leads, you know. So, um, how can you question what they're asking for? So, something might be different in certain games, or we might be trying to do this in this game because the opposition do that, or whatever it might be. But they're they're kind of they're experienced, like I go back to before, in certain grounds and certain games. In 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 what's needed is um is one of their big strengths. I feel mm. there was a game earlier in the season away at Shrews during the sticky spell um, mm-hmm. and at the end of the game you went and spoke to the fans and yeah. what stands out you know from my point of view as someone who as as much as possible I, I'm, I'm like sour on I try and oversee all the clubs and everything that's going on at any given time and mm-hmm. you see incidents like this happen a fair amount over the course of the yeah. season across yeah. different teams uh, but when you went and spoke to the Derby fans, it seemed to end relatively well. And that's not always the case. I, I always, right. I generally believe that players go over in those situations with the right intentions and feeling mm-hmm. like there will be a fair and even discourse. Unfortunately, right. I also don't think that is generally the case. I think those those scenarios can be quite difficult for, you know, mm. sensible communication, shall we say. So what do you remember about that moment, about your decision to go over there and, and how did it go when you got there? Yeah, it was probably a spur of the moment thing, to be honest with you. Look, we were all frustrated. I think we just got beat off Shrewsbury. I think I got asked about this in a recent interview recently. I think we were maybe about nine tenth, which obviously isn't good enough for the club. You know, um, the size of Derby in this in this league, um, you know, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, me being captain and someone who really cares about the players, the results um, and wants to get promoted from the league more than anyone else. Um, you know, the fans had, had every right to kind of, you know, share their noise or share their frustration you know I've seen it many many times before um, and I just felt look a quiet word and I suppose you want to have a quiet word but it's not so quiet when you go over to like 3,000 away fans full of camera phones and all the rest of it but I just felt like a little bit maybe was a little bit over the top or may hamper the group or maybe kind of might 
make the, the group lose a bit of confidence or belief or whatever. And I just wanted to go over and kind of take charge of it and say, look, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to do our best. It's, it's not from the want to trying to try and go and win games. We're obviously going through a bad patch. It's so important that we all stay together as one because you've seen it as just as many times as me when your fans become disjointed with the, with the group of players and, and whatnot. It's a real up, uphill task. It makes it even more difficult to get results. And, um, you know, with the size of this football club, with three, 4,000 away fans every game, with 28, 29,000 at home games, you know, if we can be together as one, and we, I feel like we are now, because where we are in the league, we can be a real powerful force to help, you know, the club get over the line this year. Um, and that was something that wasn't there at the start of the season, maybe when I went over to Shrewsbury. And I just thought, look, um, I'll go over there, try and settle things down a little bit and, um, look, whether it was the right thing or wrong thing to do at the time, who knows? But it definitely hasn't um, hindered us in any way. Um, that's for sure. Because you know where we were then and where we are now, it's obviously chalk and cheese. So, like I said, I'm not saying that it was because I went over at all, but uh, it was something that I just felt at the time that was maybe needed just to kind of settle things down a little bit, so it didn't hamper the group really. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. So we discussed that it's tight at the top of League One, but... As you know from previous appearances, I like to try and ask current players or managers about the tactical side of the game. We, we like the technical side of the game and uh, as as fans, we always want to hear as, as much detail as we can while understanding that you know no one wants to give away trade secrets. But just asking you a bit about some of the teams that are in and around you because it, it strikes me that each of the current top six have fairly uh, different ways of approaching games um not all of the formations are different but generally the the sort of overall approach Portsmouth I would say who generally play a sort of 4-2-3-1 shape they've got Colby Bishop up front who's been absolutely fantastic and what a focal point he is but they've got a nice blend of of kind of technical skill in there as well and and they do you know their keeper loves to play short and play risky passes in order to to start attacks Bolton in their 3-5-2 shape under Ian Ever have been that you know they've been building that for for two or three years now. So I always when I watch them, I, it always strikes me that they're so uh, they're so in charge of of their own sort of tactical display and and particularly wide rotations is something they use a lot with the wing backs and with uh, kind of skillful outside central midfield players. Then Peterborough are, are great fun for the neutral because it's four two three one with so much flair and skill and speed. Um, Barnsley three five two but really high octane stuff you know they've they've had an identity of high pressing and really high energy for for quite a long time now uh, and they've conceded a lot of goals but scored plenty too and then there's Stevenage in sixth who are I'm pretty sure by most measures the most direct team in possession in the EFL uh, just an incredible way of manufacturing 
moments that suit them, uh, particularly from set-piece situations and using Pierre Gianni to win first contact. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's not just about pumping it long without any idea of what's happening. Everything they do, you know, is done for a reason. And, and so it, it must be kind of fun playing in a, a league like this at the moment because there are some leagues where particularly the top yeah. teams all kind of play broadly the same way. Yeah, no, there's been a, there's a good mix against different teams. Um, you come up against different tests against um, some some of the teams, definitely for sure. Um, I think when we played Barnsley at the start of this kind of in the first half of the season, I think they were kind of finding their way a little bit. And um, we had a good result at home against them. We were obviously going to come up against them in a couple of weeks away at Oakwell. It was going to be a completely different animal, and um, where they've kind of found their way, found their rhythm, found their style. Um, we uh, played uh, Peterborough in kind of recent memory. They were a really good side with two really good wingers, um, you know, rotating side, uh, kind of inverted wingers, cut inside the pitch. Um, fullbacks go go wide and, and kind of overlap, which gives you a different problem. Bolton, obviously, possession-based, three to back like you just touched on. <clears throat> Want to keep the ball and play out. Um, so, like, like you said, everyone's got their own kind of style. I think, in my opinion... Uh, Peterborough probably gave us the most difficult time. Um, you know, they play out from the back really well. Young, energetic, um, legs in the middle of the pitch, like you said, high energy on the flanks um, that cut inside the pitch um, and kind of open you up from that point of view. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a complete mix. The, the the quality of the league's getting higher every season for sure, without without notice that when I kind of came back to the league last year, um, you know, you had your outstanding teams last year in your kind of the top three and there was a big gap to the rest whereas your top six now I think even seven you know your Blackpool in there Oxford of course are a decent side as well are very much anyone can beat anyone on their day um, the quality is kind of evened out a little bit so um, everyone was trying to catch that top three last year whereas this year it's kind of mellowed out a little bit and flattened out over the top six or seven teams and everyone else gives you like a different problem. problem. So um, there's definitely more people in the race this year to try and get to where we want to go um, so it's going to be, be an interesting finish to the season but like you said um, everyone's got their own kind of um, strengths and weaknesses for sure Is that one of the things that you would dread the most as a player but as a team as well when you talk about Peterborough's wide players and in particular Poku and Mason Clark when there's real speed and also 1v1 dribbling ability it's quite difficult to defend extreme width isn't it because there's only so much you can block passes out wide. You know, also from your position, you know, playing deep in midfield, that's the one where you know that there's a good chance you're going to get sucked across because, you know, that, mm. that they're going to come inside and and maybe you're going to get dragged across and what space yeah. are you leaving behind? I guess that's, that must be uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, it's uncomfortable um, for sure. You know, pace, power. Um, to be honest with you, you know, when Peterborough came to our place, it, it probably the first time in a while in this league where I was like, this is like a championship game. You know, you, you get certain games in, at the top of the, the the League One kind of table, which you could say, this is like a championship game. And Peterborough, in, in, when we played them kind of in a month ago, whenever it was, it was like, this is like a championship game. It's quicker, it's faster, it's more end-to-end, there's more quality. You know, their players, um, you know, three, four, five, six, seven of them, many of them could easily play in the championship. You know, they're young, energetic, you know, can handle the ball, Um you know they can, you know, for, from a centre midfielder's point of view, the wingers can come into pockets. The fullbacks go outside. The, the opposite ten might be off your shoulder, so if you go too far across, they win the they was the ball into the opposite ten, and you're out the other way to the opposite winger. Um, so it was a really good, real good game when we came up against Peterborough. 
Um, but like I said, there was definitely kind of more pace, more end-to-end football in that game kind of compared to most in this league, kind of in my recent memory. So, um, yeah, there was definitely some good quality of football in that one for sure. Over your career, and in particular the last few years, you've dropped a little deeper in terms of your own position on the pitch from being that real box-to-box number eight um, to to probably more of a, a sitter. Um, some people call that a number six. Some people still like to call it a number four. Uh, so I'm not going to put a number <laughs> on it. But I, I wonder if you have been aware of a difference in your own appreciation of the tactical side of the game um, as you've dropped deeper. You've got more of the game in front of you and probably the onus is on you a little bit more to be dictating the tempo and, and, and building the attacks from the back. Yeah, I think it's it's something that obviously look I'm 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 dipping my toe into at the minute and, and really kind of focusing and trying to be prepared as as best I can for when that time comes. Look, I was thirty three recently, so you're not getting any younger. Um, look, if if you're going into kind of coaching management as you get older, you might look at the game differently in terms of the tactical element. You might be kind of speaking to coaches and and picking their brains, but then wondering what you do yourself in certain situations. So. Um, yeah, it's um, and you know with, with younger people in the in the group as well in our team, you try and kind of um, help them along with information and all the rest of it in certain times of the game. Um, so yeah, look, it's probably more of a sitting midfielder now. The, the older I guess, um, and you try and look at the, the game a little bit more from a tactical point of view to try and help your, your myself out in 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 most cases than it, than any to see if I can be a yard ahead of somebody else or read the game quicker than somebody else in certain situations because maybe your legs aren't as as quick as they were before so um yeah it's uh it's something that I'm I'm kind of thinking about and, and looking into and trying to help my own game the, the kind of order I get on, on top of that as well you know mm. yeah recently you and I became connected on a, a fantastic website called LinkedIn and uh <laughs> which I don't spend very much time on but uh I noticed that uh on there you know you're starting to um uh, spread your wings a little bit in terms of starting a uh, a journey as a, a coach uh, in particular at the moment and then maybe as a manager in the future uh, tell us about the the moment of realization that a this was something that you wanted to pursue uh, and b how you've gone about it since then uh, i will just quote a post that you wrote the other day where you said i started my coaching journey about four years ago now and instantly became obsessed with it <laughs> yeah um yeah, look, it's something that I started, like I said, a few years ago now, probably just as COVID was coming, kind of, as I was hitting, um, started my B licence then. Um, prior to that, would have taken down, kind of, you know, my obsession and, and love for the game, uh, taken down notes on certain articles I might have read um, that I didn't want to forget because, you know, I love certain quotes or certain something about the game that I saw and I was like, oh, I really like that. And then obviously that led into coaching badges, and ever since kind of starting my coaching badges about four years ago, it's kind of just taken over really from then. Something that, um, you know, I'm going into and the more the time goes on, the older you get, you go into it even more so. Um, lucky enough to have, have completed badges now and, you know, meet kind of <clears throat> ex-managers that I've had before or, or, or certain managers and pick their brains and how they go to work or sporting directors in at certain clubs to see how, you know, they appoint certain managers and why they do and what the interview process is like and, just trying to gain as much knowledge as I can. Um, and it's something that I'm definitely kind of go, going to go down that road. Um, you know, whether I will be good at it or not, I'm, uh, who knows, you know, that you can't tell the future, but I'll, I'll give it everything I've got in terms of preparation and getting ready for it anyway, that's for sure. And give myself the best chance to be a success because that's the way I was in my, in my playing career. And it's going to be no different kind of in my coaching journey as well. 
uh, you're doing quite a lot, aren't you? Even alongside a, you know, being a professional player, which is, you know, how's that in terms of schedule? Because I swear, even organising this interview, you sent me three voice notes over the last week, and in every <laughs> single one, you were on the way to a session. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a lot, but look, I, I try to manage it as best I can. I think it goes back to mindset again, trying to cover as much as I can, trying to be prepared as much as I can for when that, my time finishes. I think the big thing for me that I've noticed in players when they finish, um, people get into maybe a little bit of spot of bother because they're not prepared. They don't know what to do when they finish. So from that point of view, that kind of scares me a little bit. So me taking on maybe a little bit too much at times is is probably drives me that little bit more because I just want to be ultra prepared and ultra ultra ready in case you know an opportunity falls my way or whatever. So the amount I'm doing now probably comes down to that really to to give myself the best chance of being a success when I finish. Um, working from loads of different age groups from kind of your 15s, 16s, um, all the way up to kind of 20 year olds. So um, coach a, a team 15, 16s at the minute. Then there's academy in, in the Midlands who um, kind of pay for education and, and full-time football. And um, they're kind of like a, a Nike academy. Um, so I do them on, on a Wednesday morning on my day off. Um, and then uh, I did Stourbridge for a little bit last year. Um, a good friend of mine who's an analyst at, at Aston Villa is the assistant manager at Stourbridge. So they're just below the conference north. Um, so I did first team with them last year, which I really, really enjoyed on a Tuesday and Thursday night. Um, so I've done literally, honestly, a mix of age groups from kind of 15, 16, all the way up to a first team. Um, and it's great to have different experiences with different levels, different players, different age groups. You're constantly learning, um, picking up different bits and pieces, trying different sessions out, what are good, not so good. And ultimately time on the grass to try and improve, um, you know, myself as a coach on the pitch. Is, is the most important really um moving forward because you know you've got all the knowledge that you you try and you try and get through you know looking at the game yourself trying to uh, you know mold yourself into a certain coach by talking to other managers or learning from your coaching badges or whatever it might be um, but ultimately then you have to kind of mold yourself and bring that out on the, on the training pitch and you know, hours on the on the grass really are kind of priceless when it comes to that of course, there's other aspects of being a football manager, such as uh, constant uh, media interviews, uh, managing upwards uh, board level and, and executives uh, who may not be on the same sort of level in, in a footballing sense. And, and so you may have to communicate with them differently to how you communicate with the staff around you and the players. And then, you know, something that worldwide has become much more of a, a topic is kind of the mental side of the game and and leadership itself we spoke to mark bonner a couple of weeks ago on the on the pod and i asked how much of that side of things was he trying to learn about and he said he said while you can always learn in that job you can't rehearse every conversation with a player you can't rehearse you can obviously plan sessions but there's a, a lot of aspects particularly the man management side that you can't really rehearse so I guess that's about making sure that you're confident within yourself within the things that you believe and then communication is a very important skill as well to make sure that you get messages across but in a way that that they're going to be well received and not taken the wrong way yeah definitely I think that's huge now in the game you know your, your personal approach your kind of the way you speak to people um how you lead how you kind of get that personal approach and personal relationship with each player. Um, I think it's something that I try and do here now at Derby, you know, becoming captain um, and that leadership role and speaking to all the players and, and seeing if they're okay. And, you know, I think that's that's a massive... I think one of the big things for me, I think I look back 
And I think over the course of my career, I've been fortunate enough to have been um, obviously taken out my kind of loan periods at, at Sheffield United and Swansea. I've had uh, three or four clubs permanently and I've been a captain of three of them. So that kind of gives me a kind of big belief in myself going, okay, the leadership's obviously there. My communication with people around me are, is obviously at a decent level. Um, so that's something that gives me big belief and confidence moving into kind of the coaching side of things. Um, you know, that it's it's there and, and proven that I've been captain at, you know, Plymouth Barnsley and Derby. Um, so I obviously kind of handle myself well, speak to people well. Um, you know, people have come to me openly in their careers with certain situations or problems. And for them to, you know, feel like, you know, I'm open enough and approachable enough to, to come and speak to me is always good, that they trust me with my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I think kind of looking at them traits uh, and what, what I feel is important for a manager as well, um, I feel maybe that side of, of it as well would be a kind of a strength of mine. Hopefully, anyway, that's how I see it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And your your driven nature, your self-belief, which was something we talked about a lot in the EFL Completed episode. Uh, again, a, a basically a non-negotiable if you are to have the journey that, that you've had. Um, and I'm just interested to know where you think that came from was that was that nature is that genetic was it something to do with your upbringing there's a an article uh, that was written about you by an irish publication a few years ago and there, there's a story within it about when you were a kid at, at bandon apparently you were told that there was a scout who'd come to watch you but at half time somehow oh, it had, yeah, it had been communicated he had made it clear that he thought you were effing useless <laughs> And, and as the story goes, you then score five goals in the second half. I mean, is that true? Is that apocryphal? Yeah, I do remember the story of that, to be fair. And it's, it's been brought up, it hasn't been brought up in a while, but it's definitely, yeah, I do remember that story that there was someone watching at the game and I got told or something. And I'm not sure if I scored that many goals, but my performance <laughs> maybe was better in the second half anyway. But um, yeah, I think the determination and um, the kind of this, this, my kind of mental toughness maybe, or my standards in life or my work ethic is probably the big thing is, come from my mum and dad really been very fortunate mum was a principal in school um so I had that kind of you know toughness structure standards you know um timekeeping massive um kind of embedded in me and then dad's kind of resilient worker for 40 years worked in a factory many a year many a day I remember him kind of when I was young getting up at early o'clock going to work me waking up and he's already at work coming back, me kind of being back from school, then he'll take me to football training or whatever it might be. And it's just 
relentless day after day week after week year after year no complaining um so it's probably been embedded for me from my young age really which I was very fortunate to kind of see firsthand and then moving over to England um at 16 probably a fear of failure I've probably mentioned it a couple of times in interviews where kind of determined driven not to be that one to kind of be told that look you have to go back home and be that nearly man pack up your bags you know this industry isn't for you kind of determined to kind of you know repay the the years of hard work from mom and dad and whatever you know to show them that I you know I can carve a career out for myself and um you know it probably all kind of molds into one from kind of the early years to then get into England and then that fear of failure not wanting to get go back home again and uh, and send you kind of send yourself packing back home so it all kind of snowballed then into that kind of big mindset that I've carried on through my career really thank god for that left peg eh <laughs> and that <laughs> because if I didn't have that I'd be in trouble <laughs> um when when I picture you scoring five goals for a for a kids team you know because of the goals we've seen you score over the last decade I assume they're all bangers but then there's also a picture of you doing the rounds playing for an Ireland international youth team wearing the number nine right I can't remember that is there yet? were you a striker back in the day striker when I was young yeah really? definitely yeah, 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 yeah. So, what sort of what type of striker were you? I I can't picture this at all. Uh, like if Robin van Persie, <laughs> <laughs> like elegant, shift everything onto my left foot, yeah. curl, curly finishes, okay. edge of the box finishes, then um, yeah, kind of move back to left wing for a long stage, mm-hmm. um, kind of just swinging in deep crosses. Yeah, kind of. Um, Kind of moved to left wing when I kind of got to Ireland underage groups, 15, 16, 17s, 18s, when maybe there was better strikers than me or whatever you kind of, you know, get told to go left wing or whatever it might be. And then when I kind of got to Sunderland, then kind of became a centre midfielder. And ever since then, not really um, look back from being a centre midfielder. A mm. uh, couple, of, couple of games, handful um, left back. So, you know, left footed centre midfielder, left, book, left backs injured who's the left footer in the team that can play there. So I've filled in there a handful of times. Um, Mick, McCarthy, Mick McCarthy actually played me there once for an international one of my games for Ireland, which I was quite surprised at. Um, really enjoyed it. Got another cap, left back. Everyone's happy. Um, but uh, yes, and then centre midfielder kind of ever since then, really. Those 36 caps, is it? Yeah. I say, is it? I've got it noted down. You wouldn't get that wrong for me, would you? <laughs> that strikes me as a real source of pride for you and feeds into something that uh, just from afar and then you know since we've we've met and chatted a few times something that I've always picked up is a a real uh, set, you know strong link back to where you grew up even though as you say you've been over in the UK pursuing a career in football since you were 16 or so um Bandon the place you grew up and and West Cork more broadly as the region I think you were the first person footballer from West Cork to play in the Premier League are these are these big things for you and and how are you how can you stay connected to somewhere if if you are living abroad for for such a long time I think yeah I think the Ireland thing touching on that first I suppose look 36 proud caps um you know hugely um you know proud of that to, to score for Ireland as well as is is amazing. I would have been gutted if I kind of, you know, notoriously kind of nicked goals in my, my club career and never kind of scored for my country. So delighted to have scored a goal as well. Should have had more, if I'm being honest with you. 
you know, out of 36 caps can remember a couple of chances that I missed or or whatnot. So should I have maybe a couple more? I think the big thing with the Ireland one is, you know, as much as I'm proud of my 36 caps, never qualifying for a major tournament was probably a big disappointment in my career, That something that I never got to do. Um, I just came into the squad kind of after the 2016 Euros when Ireland qualified for that. So then I kind of came in the next batch we got to a World Cup kind of playoff against Denmark. We got beat in that. And, that, uh, and that's the closest I got. I had a Euro semi-final playoff, um, but lost in the semi, so I never quite got to the, you know, the, the real last game, whereas the Denmark game was the last game playoff. Um, so that, that, that uh, as much as the Caps are hugely proud, would have loved to have got to a major tournament. Um, so, yeah, that's something that I would like to have done. But look... Um, you can't go, in a, go and achieve everything, I suppose. And then, obviously, look, well-connected back home, I suppose. That comes from, you know, family living back home. Love going back in the in the summer um, for a couple of weeks, going back and seeing friends, family. You know, love going back and, and, and seeing, you know, familiar places and familiar people and familiar faces and all the rest of it. So, um, and I've got a couple of close friends who, who come over to me over the course of the, of the season as well to watch a game now and again. So, that's great as well. So, Kind of um, not forgetting your roots and and you know doing certain interviews or favors for certain people or getting tickets for people that might want to come over and I think the big thing for me was the amount of Irish Aston Villa fans when I signed for Villa was was huge you know Villa being such a big club they had a big kind of Irish connection in in the kind of nineties eighties um, with a lot of Irish players Paul McGrath Steve Staunton um, you know to name a few um, there'd be many many more as well um, so that connection was huge and something that I loved as well so. Um, all in all, yeah, and, you know, love going back home to Cork when I can, and uh, summer's kind of my main period to go back when I can and bring the kids home. Wife goes there as well, so it's 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 amazing, really. It's it's um, something that I look forward to every summer. Is Cork City your your team in the League of Ireland? Yeah, it would be. You know, up and down kind of years. They 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 do okay okay for a couple of years, then they get relegated, and they don't just kind of sustain that consistency, which is kind of disappointing. You know, Cork being a a big city in Ireland, um, you know, second biggest after Dublin. You know, they should be kind of in and around the, the top half of the Premier League every season. But, um, you know, sometimes, you know, not so well-run mm. clubs, money problems, get relegated, then you come back again and you build up a kind of a, a base to tr- and a platform to try and achieve something again and then get into more troubles and then they get relegated again. So it's been up and down for years, but like getting to a game when I can, um, and they play summer football, which is good. Yeah. So their season goes on over the course of the summer uh, when I go home. So I like to get to a game when I get back. Yeah, I went to a Munster rugby game the other day. Not not a big okay? not a big rugby fan, but I was out in Limerick Who's that against uh, against Northampton. I was out in Limerick right? on a stag. Oh, <laughs> nice! Yeah, yeah. Tolman Park. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Good atmosphere, rugby, isn't it? Uh, it's different. I thought. It, I, don't, I mean, I I hate the sport, and I thought the atmosphere was poor. <laughs> or no, in terms of like the actual like feel good factor people mix that you can have yeah. a drink do you know what I mean in terms of not the atmosphere of like the actual crowd it's 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 they don't like while the game's on it's very weird if you're used to going to football while while the while play is ongoing yeah very little noise at all yeah 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 in terms of the actual experience of a day out with a group of friends oh. to have a couple of drinks and a sporting event it's quite good though to be fair if i could um, spend every weekend in ireland having a day out in the various pubs and then go into a sporting um, any yeah. sport I would you can't beat it yeah can't beat it but you know what rugby is actually one sport that I've never been a, not a huge fan of but like never attached myself to like 
players, names. I'll watch like the World Cup, Six Nations is on now, and I'll keep an eye on the scores and stuff. But it's one sport that I've never hugely got into for whatever reason. Just not sure. I don't think you're missing much. Um, <laughs> last, lastly, um, Connor, just because it's something that we've noticed a lot and talked about a bit on the pod, and uh, there's always been a, a, a lot of uh, Irish players in the English league system. Uh, many of them, like yourself, would have come over quite young and would have been part mm-hmm. of uh, English clubs' academy systems. What we're seeing a lot more in the last couple of years, uh, which which I don't remember happening too much before, is players being signed straight from League of Ireland clubs into League One and League Two in particular, um, yeah. and often you know being signed sometimes as like development players when they're mm-hmm. nineteen twenty, but sometimes going straight into the first team. And it's been a real uh, sort of popular pathway over the last few years. I wonder if something that you would have noticed as a player. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I have a little bit of information on it, but I, I don't have loads, I suppose. Obviously, it's a big thing for me to keep an eye on at times because obviously I came over at 16 and that was a kind of the regular age. I think a lot of players now are going to like your Italy's, your France's and going under the radar and going different. I think, as far as I know, the rules have changed since Brexit. So you used to be able to come over at 16 um, previously, but now it's 18. So... A lot of the players that two two more years of development at eighteen in Ireland is not a lot of U teams. You kind of go into like a first team environment, so you get, you know, if you're good enough, you get chucked into the first team. Um, so you see a lot more kind of younger players then being involved in first team in the League of Ireland, and then when you kind of get eighteen, nineteen in England, in League One, League Two, you see many players at that age kind of creeping up to twenty involved. In, in in lots of first teams um, in League One and League Two. So I think that's probably why we're seeing it. I think if you see players 16, 17 going to like France, Italy, a little bit different is because they're just going in a different pathway because of Brexit. They can't get over to England yet until you're 18. Um, so I think that's been a big shift in the rules and seeing kind of more players from Ireland going straight into first team squads in England uh, when they get across because they're that couple of more years older, really. Mm. As an outsider, it feels like a really talented group of players are, are coming out, you know, under 23, a lot of under 21s at the moment as well. And, uh, as you say, I'm I'm constantly seeing on Twitter about the latest 16-year-old signing for Inter Milan, and yeah, that's it. That's yeah. got to be exciting. There's one kid that signed for Bristol City, not your uh, midfield partner Max Bird, but an Irish player called Adam Murphy, um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. I think he's in the in the Jason Knight mould in terms of being a really hard worker, intense out of possession, and and hopefully good on the ball as well. So exciting time for Irish football. Yeah, fingers crossed. Look, there's been a, a crop of young players um, brought through. Um, definitely there was a kind of change in the guards the last couple of years under Stephen Kenny. He was big on bringing players through. And, you know, obviously Stephen's obviously gone now, but he's definitely left a good foundation, a good young crop of players. You know, you got Evan Ferguson as well. Obviously, he was obviously a standout name. There's big hopes for him who's flying in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a, a, lot, a lot more players coming through from Ireland, which is great to see. Um, and like you said, they're going to abroad or kind of coming into first-team environments quicker now at kind of 18, which is only good for their development, really, because they're involved with men's training sessions, men's games. uh, And, and, you know, if you can get into first-team games and get first-team minutes earlier in your career, you're only going to get more experience quicker. So you can only kind of benefit from from that, really. 
Right, well, you've got a big game tomorrow uh, against Exeter. They're in good form, so I'll let you hit the hay. Or, or maybe, actually, oh. you could probably sneak in a quick TikTok with Sibley and the lads. <laughs> no, I think I'll hit the hay instead. <laughs> I'll leave that one. Thanks for talking to us, Connor. And we'd love to stay in touch with you uh, if and when you, you make the move into football management. We'd love to, you know, I know everyone listening has been a big fan of you as a player and it'd be a big special thing for us to be uh, kind of kept abreast of your journey as well. No, it'd be, be a pleasure. Look, um, first things first, as they say, Let's get to the end of the season and that promotion charge first.